So there's a delusion in today's church, and that's the idea that Jesus is just all about me and all about what we, our best life now. We believe that Jesus is a nice add-on uh, to our tremendously busy lives. And here in this sense, I think that we can have Jesus as our Savior, but not truly um, as our Lord. And when things come to, uh, to the head and we have to do something hard that we have to say no, that we want to say no to. And instead of taking our lives to conform to Jesus and the gospel, we ask Jesus to conform to our wishes and our desires and our ideas of what discipleship will look like. And this is what we see in our passage today. This is what Peter must have thought. Peter may have let his confidence get the best of him when he answered Jesus' question about his identity. And he said the right answer. Truly, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And something with that, there must have been just joy in his heart, but something probably messed with his head may have crossed into some arrogance and cockiness. And arrogance and cockiness is the counterfeit of good human confidence. And so Peter, as Jesus' special man, decides to take, him, take Jesus aside as a friend to rebuke him. Now, when you look at this text, no self-respecting uh, rabbi would ever let his disciple do that to him. Peter takes him aside, the scriptures say, and he begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And saying, basically, that the cross was not the messianic program. See, in his view, he saw that the Roman uh, government or was to be overthrown by the Messiah, and that this Messiah would rise up and, and drive out the enemy and, and take away uh, the enemies of their day. But what was happening was that Jesus, instead of Jesus being his Lord, Peter was just trying to make Jesus his Lord. And so in our view of ourselves, I, I don't think we really identify with this very well. I think we don't really see our interests as contrary to the will of God. We may confuse our sonship and adoption in Christ in which we know we are loved by God. We are delighted in by God. He, 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 he cares for us. He ca we can cast our burdens upon him. We can be loved by him, but just to confuse that and think that he's always on our side in every situation. And this is true whenever we're introduced to the idea that we may suffer. Our gut level response is, no, Lord, anything but that. No, God, you don't want me to, to suffer this because this will take too much out of me. And I think um, maybe we as friends, maybe we've seen this happen to friends and maybe they're going, they're going to be going through suffering. Maybe they're going to a different country to share the gospel and to preach the gospel. And, and we would, and I think it's just really our desire to be able to comfort them. That's really, you know, probably our go-to in that we want to comfort them and that we want to shield them away from suffering or pain. And while we would not say, that's not God's will for you, we would do whatever we want just to, just to protect them and just to comfort them and maybe even to lead them maybe in a path that is a little different. Um, we had this kind of come to a head in which a friend of ours uh, recently found out they had a baby about five months ago and uh, everything was really looking good and then totally unannounced, um, the baby started having several seizures and had to be rushed to the hospital 
uh, where he had about nine more seizures. And, um, and just, just reading it was just painful. Um, and so the baby was diagnosed with a uh, Sturgers-Weber syndrome, which is incurable, but it will have to take medication for the rest of his life. And my first reaction was one of, no, God, like, I, I, I don't want to be reading this. I don't want to see my friends go through this kind of suffering, this kind of struggle. And in my heart of hearts, I think I was trying to do what Peter was doing to Jesus, only to see that, you know, in Peter's suffering and in, in Jesus' suffering and in, in, in my friend's suffering, I think, you know, their hearts were sad for the baby, but their heart was beginning to and learning to continue to grow, to trust in Jesus more, to trust that it is his kind hand who had sovereignly put them as parents and sovereignly put them in sustaining um, the life of their baby. And while they were sad and, and struggling through it, they were trusting in, in God that just made me want to weep. You know, friendship can be the greatest temptation to trusting Jesus in suffering because I think we, and rightfully, I think we do care for their comfort, but sometimes it can spill over and that we're not thinking about their character, their obedience to Jesus. And this is what Peter was doing. He was saying suffering could not be a part of the messianic program. And I think Jesus is giving us a gut check today to understand Jesus' like over-the-top reaction. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, sometimes we say that out of jest. But, but, Peter, but Peter was not just trying to be helpful. He was trying to be Lord over Jesus and change the messianic program where suffering is not and will not be optional. Jesus says here and in other places that, it, did you not know that it is necessary for the Son of Man to suffer? Look in Luke 24, 44 to 46. And as we step, I can't think of any more important week than this week in human history as we celebrate Palm Sunday, that we understand that Jesus' suffering was not optional because it was the only way Jesus could save sinners. And I'm with you, Travis. I don't think I think about this enough. As I've been learning in a, in a Holy Week devotional and it's called Your Sorrow Will Turn to Joy. Um, I think you can find that in Desiring God. Um, you know, I, I've just been learning and relearning the awe and the wonder of how much the gospel's right about this particular week. We see that the gospel writers put so much overwhelming portions in each of their gospels. Matthew spends eight chapters out of 28 to this one week. Mark devotes six to his Luke uh, also uh, gets the final six of his 24 chapters all about this passion week. And most importantly, John devotes almost half of his gospel to the final week of our Lord's ending in his resurrection. Half, nearly half of his gospel was devoted to, to learning and narrating the death and the suffering and the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus ending in his resurrection. And not only that, the, the, the disciples frequently returned back to the preaching of Christ and him crucified in their sermons and acts. So you tell me that 
all these scriptures were looking ahead to this one week, and here's Peter saying, no, you don't need to die, Jesus. (laughs) It's not part of the Messianic program because I know better. And Jesus says, not die. It is his divine It is divine will from my Father. It is the very mission why I am here. If there is no cross, there is no Christianity. If I do not die, you will die in your sins for eternity forever. If there is no suffering, if there is no death, you are left hopeless in your sins. And without the cross, there is no discipleship. And a Christianity without the cross and discipleship is worthless. Without the cross, there is no salvation because there is no Savior. And Christ will just begin, be another religion in the, it'll be hero worship without real power. It'll be, uh, won't be any eternal weight. Any death-crushing authority will not come from Christ if there was no cross. It would just be another offering in the religious buffet line of this world. There is nothing more important, Hope family, than the cross and the resurrection of Christ. But Peter didn't want any of it. And that really hurts because I think he was willing to be led of a satanic influence and be led astray by a life of comfort, security, and popularity, and not a life to die. And Jesus says, you know what? Your suggestion is a part of the satanic program. And this is after Peter was both a confessor of the greatest confession in Mark 8, and yet after that he became a stumbling block to God's purpose. You know, we could be slamming and jamming as, as God's own, as a Christian, one moment, and then we could be down in the dumps the next. But when we operate with an aversion to suffer, it becomes a stumbling block to our growth as Christians. It is where we face full-on weight of what Jesus said to Peter to us. You are not setting on your mind on the things of, of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. And Jesus needs to rebuke the satanic urge in all of us and call us to lift up the discipleship of the cross. And that's hard. You know, perhaps we have gone through a lot of suffering already in our lives that we feel like we can't not take it anymore. Or perhaps we have a happy view of suffering, but what it happens to some other saint or other missionary a long time ago, that's totally fine. We glory in the suffering. We're just so happy in that story as long as the suffering does not affect our comfortable little uh, lifestyle. We don't live a life that's interruptible. But church family, I want to say this as straight as possible. Jesus doesn't ask you for permission. He is not answerable to you. Following Jesus does not mean Jesus conforms to your idea of a comfortable life. He did not come to be a comfortable add-on. He didn't come to be a topping on your Sunday. He didn't come to already give you uh, bells and whistles. 
and be the candle on your birthday cake. Following Jesus means that we are willing to suffer. Um, and, you know, I think I was really thinking about this because um, in uh, this week, I was uh, not having one of those great days. Um, I was thankful that uh, my neighbor spotted some leaky sprinklers um, that was pulling over. And, uh, and so I was like, okay, I got to fix this. I was hoping it was just a sprinkler head, but nope, it was just to the right of the sprinkler head. And I was like, oh, great. Now I got to go do some digging. So I didn't really feel good about that. And, um, and so I waited until about like 4, 4.30. And um, Christine kind of um, asked, hey, are you going to work on the sprinkler? You need to take care of that. Um, and I was like, okay, let me do that. And, uh, and, and so I went out there. And I was like, okay, I know what to do. I just need to get a, a coupler, uh, a half-inch coupler, and go out to Home Depot and then come back and then fix it. And uh, so I was like, okay, this is going to be easy. I can get it done, no problem, 6.30, I should be home. Um, and so I get back, I take the coupler, and I'm in a rush because Christine's cooking. When you Christine is cooking, you get in the door. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, I just got to get this done. So I'm just like putting it together, putting the coupler together, putting the, uh, the thing together. And, uh, and, then, and then it's just, I get to that last part of putting the coupler on and trying to connect those pipes, but those pipes did not fit. Like I had to bend it so that I could, that I could fit the coupler back in. Well, sh guess what happened? It went, I pulled it up and then all I hear is a crack. And I'm like, oh man. And then so I dig up the other side and then I'm trying to attach it, and then I realize it's not a half, it's, a three, it's not even a three-quarter. I need like a, and it's some kind of reducer bushing that's bigger. Basically, I don't have the part, and it's, it's when you get to those places where you're like, you have no idea, you have no way to fix it, but you're thinking of every single way to fix it, and I was getting nowhere. And um, that led me to the, the second, uh, or to my neighbors, finally, and they recommend cutting it off, and then they found like this, uh, this one inch pipe that they didn't know where it came from. It looked, didn't look like a PVC pipe. And they're like, yeah, you need to go and get a coupler. Um, so it was my second trip to Home Depot. Um, and uh, it was like nine o'clock by the time I got back and I was just fuming. And I was just like, why am I going to my second time of Home Depot. I can only take so much tools <laughs> and so much PVC pipes. And I think the Lord was just, at that moment, the Lord was just confronting me. This is not even suffering. <laughs> you think it's suffering, but it's really self-imposed um, rushing <laughs> and you are not doing you didn't do it right and so you just got to do it again and and I think the Lord was just reminding me of like saying do you know what it's like to live for something and do you know the difference between going through problems and truly suffering for Jesus I think Jesus calls us to a life of suffering 
in a way that I think it's really worth asking. Am I, am I ready to live for Jesus? But I think the follow-up question should be, am I willing to suffer for Jesus? Jesus calls us to save our lives and follow him to love God and to love people so that we can engage the world, right? But it only happens when we conform our lives to the cross. What we see here in the passage is in verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow, him, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus calls us, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and we're going to die to ourselves, and we're going to take up the cross and follow him. Jesus is giving the first order call to martyrdom. Luke 9, 23, right? Same thing. Crucifixion was one of those most feared forms of execution. And we know it was greeted by shame. It was so bad that it was reserved for the lowest of criminals of any other person who would dare defy the Roman state. It was such an imposition that Roman polite society would never even bring it up in a polite conversation. And again, if you're a Roman citizen, you are, you, are, you are shielded from this. It was meant for enemies. I know Pastor Malcolm had already gone through the death of Jesus and how the sufferer would go through 39 lashes and would have carried his own cross through the equivalent of six football fields and would eventually die by a painful mixture of asphyxiation, which is essentially suffocation or until the birds pick you clean first. So when Jesus said, come deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, they knew that their answer meant to heed the call to die and say goodbye to a comfortable life. And so denying yourself is not also a one-time thing. We should read the present imperative sense of this term, which is keep denying yourselves, taking up your cross and continue to follow me, whether hell or high water. So taking up your cross is not a call just to die one time. It is a call to a whole life, consistent life of discipleship. It didn't start. It doesn't start when you first become a Christian, and it doesn't end when you take that step to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It, it is a lifetime of saying no to comfort and no to your own desires so that we would be willing to suffer and ultimately die for the name of the Lord Jesus and I think we have to ask ourselves the question, are we willing to go live for Jesus, but are we willing to go and suffer and even be killed for our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, I think when we say that we, have, we all have our own cross to bear, this minimizes the cross. This minimizes Jesus' death. Taking our cross, can, we can easily say, oh, well, just problems like a sprinkler, right? Or problems with a crying baby, uh, problems with a maybe uh, possibly a medical condition. I'm not trying to lower or minimize those things. All of us have problems. All of us have burdens. But are we willing to surrender ourselves even to a place in which would mean true, deep sacrifice? If it means denying our plans for ourselves, our plans for our family, our plans for our own future. 
Are we willing to engage and knowingly say yes to something difficult for Jesus' sake? And are we doing that on a consistent basis? And I think that's so true. I think it's, it's something that we need to be thinking about of saying, Lord, is there anything in my heart that I am letting be a barrier to you of hearing your voice, of not hardening my heart? You know, so many times as a, a parent of five kids, I have five screaming children, and it is so difficult. And, um, and sometimes I, I really mess up, and there is this one time this week that I did mess up, and I yelled and yelled and just kind of tried to have my way with two of the kids who were just messing around and having a good old time as young boys do in the shower and the brushing teeth and stuff. And, um, and I think, you know, I was definitely in sin. And as I was meditating on this text and I was just meditating on on this idea of dying to myself and denying myself and saying, Lord, is there anything in my own heart that is blocking you, me from you? Um, that's the one thing that came up. And, and it was definitely humbling because, um, you know, you want to you wanna put on a happy face. You want to kind of pretend it never happened. You could just kind of play that card. Oh, the kids will never remember that. They, you know, they just kind of forget about those things. But I think the scripture is right in saying, for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeit his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? Basically, is there anything worth giving up, right? Is there anything in my life that is worth more than giving up my life for Jesus? Am I ready to lose my soul over this? And I, it was not. And, you know, I just got to be able to confess and uh, take both my kids uh, individually and just confess my sins to them and, and ask them for their forgiveness. And I asked them, hey, did you remember what daddy did yesterday? They're like, yes. <laughs> uh, do you know that daddy totally messed up? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, man, thanks for the grace, guys. <laughs> but in the end, they gave me a hug. And um, it just brought me to tears because... I don't want to ever lose, and I don't want to lose my, my obedience to Christ in that I am not, that I'm at the same time setting my mind on things on myself and my own sin and my own struggles that, that I'm not doing what the Lord has called me to do in that present moment. And that means that we need to live a consistent whole life discipleship, not just at the one time when we trusted Jesus, but in our lives presently, continuing on and on and on because it's not worth it. There's nothing worth it uh, losing uh, that if we gain this whole world, but we lose our soul. And see, it's, it's when we have this mindset that we have to get the most out of our lives for ourselves that we've lost life in our deepest sense. It's not that we have to be punished or that we have to be masochistic, masochistic, but the sense is if your life is all about pleasing yourself, you're missing out because that's not a life worth lived. Making your personal happiness the ultimate criterion is self-defeating. 
It's not about self-interest here. The scriptures say it is denying yourself. It is self-forgetfulness. And, 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 and I think Jesus is calling us to live the joyful life of forgetting ourselves. Forgetting what we want and what we think will bring us happiness and joy and exchanging it for a life walking along the way of the cross and forsaking, willingly forsaking comforts and asking Jesus to wreck our lives so that we would die to our own selfish ambitions so that we can eventually, now we can truly live. And so Jesus is inviting us to something that is something that seems from the very get-go, it seems like almost uh, painful and it could be and it'd be suffering and it could be, but also it's an invitation to something far greater than anything we can invite ourselves to. And that is the life of joy and walking straight in step with the Lord Jesus Christ. The world can hate us. Uh, our, you know, we can totally be out of line with the world. We can give up whatever wants and desires that we have. But if we are walking with Jesus and walking in the route that God has called us and we are following him into the suffering and the struggles and the pain, we will receive greater joy than we would ever, ever Imagine, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Scripture, as Jesus also says, no man who has given up his life and his lands and his family would, would go empty, but will reap rewards ten and a hundredfold. And this is a life of following Jesus and a life that is cross-shaped. We are a people called to the cruciformity of Jesus Christ. And we will experience sorrows, yes. We will experience struggling, yes. But will we see foretaste of the kingdom? Yes. And that's what the disciples were going to get into because in the next chapter, you're going to see that the taste, they, there, there is some standing here. Truly, I say to you, that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I think out of many different suggestions here, the disciples will see the kingdom of God come in power at the resurrection and after the Pentecost when the gospel will spread in signs and powers and wonders and healings. Some say that this is the judgment of Jerusalem. But I think this, most commentators point to the fact that the disciples are going to get a glimpse of the glory of our Lord Jesus to come. You see the Son of Man, the veil be torn off, and Jesus, the Son of Man, is, will be appearing in radiant white. And at that point, our eyes will be transfixed on our Savior, Jesus the one who turns our sorrows into everlasting joy. That is worth letting Jesus wreck our lives to disgrace all the comfort that we have and to follow him. And it's an invitation to something far rewarding than anything that we can invite ourselves to. So where you are, we meditate on a couple questions as we close today and as we 
invite the prayer team to come forward. I wanna invite the prayer team to come forward and just want you to think about two questions. Um, what do I live for? And what am I willing to suffer for Jesus' sake? If he calls me to that life. Be honest and transparent. Ask the Lord for grace, but also ask for openness and honesty. If there's any fears that you have, surrender that to the Lord. Jesus, we give our all to you and we ask that, Lord, you would be our life and you would be our death. That we would follow you, God, wherever you call us to go. Lord, give us even a greater view, if anything, in awe and wonder of your death, this Palm Sunday and this Holy Week, as we look forward to your resurrection. Do a great work, God, in us that as we are invited into your greater kingdom and your calling, that, Lord, whatever sorrows that we experience in this world will be sorrows, but yet they will continue to be, those sorrows will be our joy. Thank you, Father. We pray that you would work here in this place and do only what you can do in Jesus' name.